Good morning. Uh, let's, let's pray. Lord, uh, God, we just give you this day. Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to uh, not only be in this place, uh, but to be in our hearts. Make your dwelling with us. Let there be nothing that separates us, and, and we want to be close to you and be useful and just be in relationship with you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, we have such wonderful volunteers in this place. Like to. I hope you'll join us for our Christmas party this evening. We have plenty of room for you. The kids will be here. Drop the kids off at this building. Uh, adults, we will be in the building that is a stone throw away. Uh, literally, hit it earlier with a rock. It is, there is a stone throw away. We're, we're in the event center right behind us at 6 o'clock. So it's potluck, so if you can bring something, bring something. But I hope, I hope you'll come. Uh, this, is, this is a very, this, this church is a very volunteer-driven place down to the decorations that you see. Isn't, isn't it nice? You guys think it's nice? Yeah. But it's not finished. We're missing, we're missing the biggest piece. I, I hate to set this in the center, but we have to finish decorating. So let's do that now. Can I get some help? My elves in the front here. If I could, if I could get a little help. We have to finish decorating. I don't know. Yeah, the camera is zooming in there. Sweet. Okay. Nice. Yes. Thank you very much. Look at what we have here. Now, I did something similar in our very first Christmas service at the Woodbridge Church, which was just seven years ago. And um, I picked up a wise man by the head, and it fell off and shattered the wise man. And the family that I borrowed the set from later told me that their grandmother had handcrafted all of those pieces. So this is my set. And any casualties are, are accepted. I think we're missing something. Okay, because I have, look, oh, they did a, they did a beautiful, beautiful job. Okay, so we have animals because it's a stable. I'm going to say they probably flushed the animals out, but hey, they could have been there. You know, like Jesus is making all things new, like in the garden where a lion laid with the lamb. So maybe they're still there. Maybe they're chilling out. Maybe, maybe the donkey's not, you know, being himself. And maybe they left a bull in with a woman giving birth. Maybe. And you have an angel. Okay, I can buy that. I mean, we see where angels appeared in other places. So I can buy that. Maybe there's an angel there paying respects. And then we have uh, Tada, Mary, who is kneeling fresh after giving childbirth. I don't know that I'm buying that one. <laughs> and we have, we have a shepherd who's made his way. Kind of on the nose. He's literally holding a lamb. Like, hey, dude, leave that in the field. But, you know, you got to know. And then we have, we have this guy. Can you guys see this? Y'all help me here. We don't know if this is Joseph or if it's another shepherd. Is this Joseph's walking stick and a lantern because it's dark in the barn? Or is this this shepherd's pal who came and we're just missing Joseph? We don't know. We're calling him Joseph for now. 
And then you have the most mysterious figures of all that I want to talk about. We have three men, all bearing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if you've never heard the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, or, or any of these others you, you, from, from some sort of pop culture, you know that we're going to call these three the three wise men. Lots of, lots of questions shroud these three figures in our nativity scene. But there's something here for you. Now, if you have never read the nativity story, that's okay. You guys can zoom out now. I think everybody's got it. If you have never read the nativity story, that's okay. If you've never read the Bible, that's okay. You're in the right place. We didn't expect you to walk in an expert. That's why we're doing what we're doing today. We're going to talk about these things. Uh, in fact, we don't expect you to have your life together. You may not even have a Bible. We have them for you. Uh, they are for, for free. We are giving them away. As you leave today on our VIP table, there are Bibles there for free for you. So please take one. It's our joy to give you that. But uh, the Bible is broken up into two sections. There's 66 books in your Bible. In the one binding, there are actually 66 books. The third, 39 in the beginning are the Old Testament or the Old Covenant or the Old Law, and they tell about the creation of the world and God choosing a people and promising that through one day the Messiah, Jesus, would come. And when this happens, the birth of Jesus, we switch from Old Covenant to New Covenant, okay? We come into a new law, a New Testament, and that is, and your calendar switches at this birth as well. Now, little history there, we probably got it wrong <laughs> when the calendar was being made. More than likely, Jesus was born in about four, four and a half B.C., um, but from the data that they had, they said, okay, this is when Jesus was born, and split it up from there, okay? Uh, but... His birth is what changed your calendar from B.C. to A.D., okay? And this is what comes to the New Testament. Now, when you get into the New Testament, the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They are eyewitness accounts or firsthand surveys of the life of Jesus. The nativity story, which is this. This is a nativity scene. Is it accurate? Well, we'll find out a little more later. But the nativity story is really told... It's told um, philosophically in the book of John, but it is physically told in the books of Matthew and of Luke. Most commonly, uh, you hear the story in Luke. And in Luke, we have the nativity scene, but no wise men, only the shepherds. In Matthew, you do not have an account of the shepherd, you only have an account of the wise men. I think I'm on to why. I think I'm on to why because it's such a big deal. Why was it not mentioned in both books? Well, we're going to focus on Matthew where the wise men or magi are talked about, okay? Uh, we're going to focus in on that today. So if nothing else, and hopefully this will be something applicable for you, but if nothing else, it's a little bit of history. But before we begin talking about the nativity scene, this story. This would have all taken place in a barn. Baby Jesus would have been laid in a manger or a feed trough of which we always build wood. His was most likely not made out of wood. You know, we do what we can with what we've got. 
But let me give you a little background. I need you to back up into the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, everything there points to Jesus. There is a book in the Old Testament that is a fascinating study, if you've never studied it. If you're looking for something to read, absolutely fascinating. Uh, Your first time through, you probably won't understand all of what is going on. But there is a book in the Old Testament called Daniel. Daniel is a prophet of God. He lived a very long time, and he was influential over many kingdoms and many kings. Daniel is stolen from his homeland. He was a Jew. He was stolen from his homeland and taken to sort of that Mesopotamian area. He lived long, and so many people would take over that, and so he served under many kings as an advisor, but Daniel was wise like no one we have ever met. He could interpret dreams. God spoke to him. Really incredible story. You know him from the popular story, Daniel in the lion's den. Same Daniel, okay? Now, Daniel was the chief among what we would call magi. So that word is going to filter into our language, and you're going to know that as magician. Okay? So it wasn't a magician in the way that you would think. See, there was a religion that started, and in fact, all of what you know today, and I'm, this, is, this is an oversimplification, but for time's sake, most of what you know today as the Middle East, where the predominant religion is Islam, was not Islam before Islam became a religion in 500-something A.D. Those, the majority, were Zoroastrians. And Zoroastrians were much in descent from the teachings of these magi. And they studied astronomy, astrology, uh, math. They, they, were, they were studiers. They were big-time studiers. Now, we're in the book of Daniel, though. See, in Daniel chapter, I wrote this down. I can't remember if it's 9 or 10. I want to say in Daniel chapter 9. Yeah, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is prophesying, and in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel writes about the coming Messiah. And he writes so specifically that he actually prophesies that the Messiah would be born. Now, we're in hindsight, and we see that, yes, he was right. Daniel prophesied the time that the Messiah would be born. The interesting thing about Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, see, this is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the story of the Hebrew-speaking people. So the Old Testament is written in what language? Hebrew, not Daniel chapter 9. Daniel wrote a few pieces of his book we call Daniel in Aramaic. And in Aramaic is the prophecy of the time when the Messiah would be born. What language might you think these men were speaking? Most likely, 
They know Aramaic. Now, I'm going to tell you that I think from the text that they did not know Hebrew, they're going to have to ask for directions from Hebrew-speaking people because they don't have all of the text. But what they had, they had in Aramaic. And they were studying former magi, including Daniel the prophet. And so you have... Jesus being born, and upon Jesus being born, these men enter, and we think, how could they have entered? And let me tell you the story. Because they were looking for him. Now, that's not all the story, but let's get cracking. I'm in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I've got to go through this quickly. I'm going to try not to repeat myself Take notes. Feel free to answer, uh, ask me questions later. But take notes. Read these things, uh, read these things for yourself. I, I really, really encourage you to. If you've never read the book of Matthew, the whole thing is wonderful. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So that's why this is kind of shrouded mystery. Where are they from? The east. We don't know. There's a lot of things to the east of Judea. Okay, so we just know that they came from the east, for we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Now, a lot of your nativity scenes will have a star setting over the barn, and we know that stars don't work that way, <laughs> okay? That would have that murdered all of humanity for a star to visit earth. That's not how. So these, these men are watching the star always. They are seeing things, but we don't know. We don't have their notes. We don't know what specifically they have seen. And before you raise your hand and ask us if I've seen that star documentary, no. No, I haven't. Now, these men had the writings of Daniel. Did they speak Hebrew? Maybe. Maybe not. We don't know a whole lot about them other than that they were looking and that there was no reason. These are not Jewish men. These are not people who should be looking, but they were. Okay? These are the Magi. Now, hold on. Is there's another character that I just read about that you also have to understand. And in this passage, we are going to talk about these wise men, and we are also going to talk about Herod. And I think that the reason that the shepherds are not brought up is because we are being introduced into a compare and contrast situation. And so we need to focus on these two things. And I think that that's the reason that the shepherds are not brought up in the book of Matthew. But let me tell you a little bit about Herod. This is not the same Herod that, that uh, Jesus goes to trial with when he's 33 years old. This is Herod the Great, called Herod the Great. Why? Because when you're king, you get to name yourself. And uh, he's called Herod the Great because he built many great structures but he had quite a complex. In fact, he was always worried about someone usurping his throne, and he murdered three of his own sons because they began to threaten his power. Herod was a very, very evil man. Let me tell you, here's all you need to know about Herod. When Herod dies before his death, he gave a list of well-respected men in, the, in, in, in his region and told his um, 
his advisors to round up these men and execute them on the day he dies because he knew that people hated him and they would not mourn. So if they killed all of these noble men, then the people would mourn at his death. That's Herod the Great, okay? This dude has issues. Now, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. When King Herod heard this, heard what? That these magi had come. Now, hold on. How many were there? We have three in the nativity scene, and we know that they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But just because there were three gifts does not mean that there were just three of them. They almost certainly traveled in an entourage. There was probably a great caravan of these men who came. And you know that there was not a star setting over the barn because they're going to come into Jerusalem asking where to go from there, okay? So this, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, the Bible's ridiculous, stars don't work that way. They are watching the stars, okay? This is not, the sun did not touch the earth. Now, back to Herod. When Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because a caravan just came into town, and they were looking for a new king. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes, in verse 4, of the people, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. How did they know that? They went back to the Old Testament, looked at the prophecy, and said, he will be born in Bethlehem. They knew these guys didn't know. This is why I assume from the text that they were not Hebrew speaking. Is because they had enough text in Aramaic to know when he was to be born. They had something that they were following as they were watching the stars, but they did not have the Hebrew text saying where he would be born. So they have to go to Herod, and Herod gathers men. So we think that they're just making a pit stop in Jerusalem, but they may have been there for quite some time. We don't know. But verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay? So they had some text available to them, but obviously not all of it. Now this is interesting. Herod becomes very interested in this new king. Why? The Bible says he's disturbed, yeah, because he's the king, and this is a threat to him. You are going to see the way the Magi and the way Herod respond to Jesus at his birth is the way we will respond for all of eternity later. He will be a threat to Herod in the beginning. He will be a threat to Pharisees in the end. He will be a threat to us living the life, doing things the way we want to because he comes with a set of rules that we're supposed to live by, people will reject Jesus from this point forward because he is a threat to something they want. Jesus is more often than not a threat to my agenda. However, we have the example of these men whose agenda was just to know the truth. And what if I'd lived like that? Crazy. I didn't, I, this is not in my notes, but there was a man who 
I was speaking with, he has more connections in places than I, I could ever imagine. He does, he does very important things, if you could put it that way, but he was speaking and he said, you know, I did all the work and I, I was able to get a seminary to come into the Middle East, a Christian seminary. And I said, people wouldn't sponsor that? He said, I had all the sponsors, but they all backed out, and here's why. Because they, in, in this country that he was going to, they said, we will allow this Christian seminary, but only if they will also teach Islam. And that is why all of his funding backed out. And I thought, okay, I get that wouldn't want to teach a, a different religion. This is what he said, and I'm not trying to push any kind of agenda, but just, just let this kind of sink in for a moment. He said he was furious with the people who backed out. And I said, how could you be furious with him? I'm paraphrasing this conversation. And he said, because they think, they think that if you present two things that someone will choose the wrong one, but I know that they'll choose Jesus. These men sought the truth, whatever it was. Is that not what we're asking? Is that not what we ask of anyone? I am a, a bit of a nerd. Sometimes I watch debates on YouTube. There was one man, he's a Christian apologist, which means he argues a defense of the faith. And he asked a room full of atheists. He said, I was the only Christian in the room. He asked a room full of atheists. And he said, how many of you sometimes doubt yourself? And he said, not one hand went up. And he said, then I'm the only intellectually honest person in this room then. It may have been a tacky way to say it. But he was saying, I've had to do the intellectual duties. I've had to seek the truth. And this is what we ask of other people. And at some point, at some point, these men, their faith had to go from Daniel's faith to theirs. They had to contradict the culture and the society that they lived in. They had to overcome so much to find the truth. Yet all of Jerusalem is disturbed. Herod is inconvenienced. You know, the thing about it is, if you don't like God, it doesn't change much, does it? If you don't agree with some things in the Bible, I don't remember God sending out a survey. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean any of that in, in a tacky way. I just mean we have to seek the truth. So despite how I grew up, despite how you grew up, I just want to get closer to God for who he is as he is. These men dropped so much agenda. Do you, do you understand? I, I heard a man speaking about these, and he was in San Antonio, Texas, and so I, I haven't done the math for myself. But he said the distance that these men probably traveled, he said if you left San Antonio and went to Kansas City, Missouri on foot, 
That's what they traveled. Herod wouldn't go to the suburbs, which is essentially where Bethlehem is from where Herod was. You will drive farther to get home after church service today than what Herod would have had to go. And he won't go that far. These men, do you know what they gave up? It probably took years. In fact, we probably need to take them out of the nativity scene because they're probably not going to be there until Jesus is a couple years old. It is possible that they see the star a couple years before the nativity and they actually show up at that time. However, that is unlikely, and I'll, I'll show you why in just a moment. Then Herod secretly, in verse 7, summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Hey, everybody that tells you they're on the same team as you is not on the same team as you. There's an agenda. Everybody that says they're on your side is not on your side. Everybody that says, tell me what you come up with because I want what you want. If someone jumped on social media right now and told an absolute fabricated lie about you, half of the people that told you they were on your side would just jump right on it. And never, I know this one by experience, never call you to see if it's true. We look at Herod like he's evil. I've done some pretty Herod-y things in my life. And I think we can all say that. We've all, we've all been there, done that. Verse 9, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It is, there's, there's, not, <laughs> there's, not, there's not a, a, a sun touching the building. They're looking at the sky. This is the confusing part. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. How does that work? I don't know. I don't get too caught up on it because, honestly, God came down as a man. Like, if you're going to buy that but you have problems with somebody reading the stars, you're looking at the wrong things. In fact, in the beginning, God. If you can get past those four words, manipulating anything within that is totally up to God. So I don't know how the star thing works, but just, you know, think about it. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Verse 11, entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Isn't this interesting? See, the problem for many Jews with Jesus is that he was just very underwhelming to them. He did not come in power. He did not free them from the power of Rome. He did not free them from bad things happening to good people, and they were very underwhelmed. 
And they waited and waited and waited for the Messiah. And when one came who fulfilled all of their prophecies, it was just too underwhelming. Yet, these guys who risk it all can't imagine the journey. There's no Bucky's to stop at. And they bring expensive gifts. In fact, Jesus is going to have to spend a lot of his childhood in hiding, and he probably is able to do that because of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that they brought. They're willing to risk it all. And when they get there, they're not disappointed. But what did they walk into? At best, a toddler. If the star did come early, they walk into a a child born in a barn. Yet they're not disappointed. I think if I could be like anyone in the Bible, these may be the men to shoot for. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There were three gifts. It doesn't say that there were only three guys and they all had one gift. There might have been five people give gold. We don't know. And being warned in a They found what they were looking for, and then they went home. Interesting. So you have these men. Now, Herod, as, as maybe you know, Herod asked them, when did you see the star? And so according to the information that he got there, which is why I think that they probably arrived a couple years after Jesus' birth, according to the information that, they re- that Herod received from these wise men or magi, he had every baby in Bethlehem two years and under murdered just to protect his throne. Now let me tell you, Herod is not going to make the year. He is so disease-ridden that he is already on his deathbed. But this is how vain this guy is. Rather than be replaced by the actual king, he's going to murder a village full of children two years and under, and Herod will die before the end of the year. This is why we think that Jesus was actually born in 4 BC is because we know when Herod the Great died. So Herod is going to die very shortly after. He will have someone that comes in after him whose name is also Herod, and that will be the one that Jesus goes to trial with uh, when he is 33 years old. But You have a compare and contrast, and you have magi looking for the truth, however it may come. And then you have Herod looking to be his own truth. You have the magi worshiping God because he is in control, and they just choose to accept truth. And you have Herod rejecting God so he can be in control. The magi will travel any distance to see the king, and Herod will never leave his palace The Magi are looking. Do you understand that people come from a foreign land into the center of the Jewish world 
and religion and find the very thing that all those men were looking for but wouldn't see? The Magi worshipped, Herod is jealous. The Magi leave gifts, Herod murders. And it doesn't change. You'll see, a same, you'll, you'll see the same thing. You'll compare and contrast the disciples with the Pharisees later. It'll be the same all throughout his life, and even after he dies, none of it changes. Here's the thing. These men were able to trade everything worldly for kingdom. Herod would trade everything kingdom for everything worldly. And that is why we don't call him the wise man. These are the wise men. These are the magi. These are the ones. These are the ones that we need to be like. So it leaves us asking this question, which is more important to me, his kingdom or my kingdom? Because you've heard in folklore and everything else, these are called many things. We three kings of Orient, well, the Orient to the East, but kings of, these were very prominent very prestigious, very wealthy man, kings in their own right. Understand that Herod is actually not a king. He's a contract king. Rome is in charge of Jerusalem, and they just kind of allow Herod to run it. He's honestly a governor. That's what we would call it. But he calls himself king. So which kingdom do we invest in? A spiritual kingdom or a physical kingdom? A godly kingdom or a worldly kingdom. Phrase it like this. What would you trade for the truth? What would you give to have a deep relationship with Jesus? And it's never as simple as that, is it? Satan has never come and said, I'll buy your soul for a million dollars, has he? It just doesn't play out like that. We're ready for that. We're ready for somebody with hooves and horns dressed in red and smells like sulfur to come up and ask me to sell my soul for a million bucks. We wouldn't take that. Herod probably wouldn't even have taken that. See, what had happened was he worked to get into power, and then he built, and he built, and he built, and his whole life was in what he had built, and it could all be taken away in a moment, and that's why it had to go, is because all of his energy, all of his pride, everything that he had worked for was in this kingdom that he had built, and if we don't watch it, we will hold what we have built over knowing Jesus. I have to watch myself that building a church doesn't keep me from the truth. That's a real thing. 
We all have to watch ourselves that building our own kingdom, building our own wealth. And man, I want you guys to be, I want you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I want all of those things for you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing any of those things in anyone's face, but the question has to be every day of the year, has it become more important than God came to earth? Has it become more important than worshiping Jesus? Because let me tell you, one day we believe and we don't believe based on nothing. I mean, come on. Daniel writing when Jesus would come in Aramaic and then Aramaic-speaking people showing up. Come on. I don't believe based on nothing. Hundreds of prophecy all coming true in one child, a mathematical impossibility. I don't believe based on nothing, but I believe that one day a trumpet will blow and my father will come and he will, he will leave, thank God, leave this flesh behind and he will take my spirit to be with him for eternity. And when that trumpet blows, everything that I have built is going to look so foolish. And I have to set my eyes on the king. I have to set my eyes on on the truth, so that I never allow my gold, which one of these boys has gold? Right here. So that I never allow my gold to become mine. Man, he worshiped and gave his gold to a baby. can never let my possessions become more important than my Jesus. So the nativity scene is a heart check because every time you see these guys, you should be humbled. They left everything and gave everything for the truth. And when they found it, they worshiped. They weren't disappointed. Why? All they knew is they were following a star to the truth and let the truth be what it is. When everyone else came with, this is what the truth should be. This is what my agenda is for the truth. You'll read through the New Testament and people come to Jesus wanting him to do something for them. But we have a fresh look when we look through their eyes and they say, whatever it'll be, it'll be. And that's what we'll worship because that's the king. So, I encourage you, read the nativity story. It's in the beginning of Matthew. It's in the beginning of Luke. Read it as a family. But don't overlook some of these pieces that you've heard since you were a child because they, they produce worship in this. It has been sitting there for 2,000 years waiting us to compare Herod to the Magi and ask ourselves, which one am I? So which one are you? I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I pray for your people that you will be with us. I pray that you will, uh, God, just let us, let us see into our own souls. Your servant David said, uh, search my heart and try me. And God, I pray that we will do the same thing, Father. I pray that we will, we will peer into our own souls, Lord. And as we get into our, the Bible, you said you will rebuke. Uh, correct, rebuke, teach, and train us in righteousness. And so, Father, I just, I ask that, Lord. Let us, let us never allow possessions, things, anything of this world to get in the way of you, Father. We are strangers in a foreign land looking forward to the time when we get to meet you face to face. But until then, we know you in spirit. Dwell with us, be with us. 
so mighty, God, that we were just constantly aware of your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Dusty's going to do a song. I invite you to stand and worship with us. Baskets are going to come to the forward prayer team. We have a prayer team. They're going to uh, they're going to come up to the front, and they have a little button. That's how you know who they are. And uh, prayer team, if you'll go ahead and come to the front. If you guys would like for someone to pray with you, we would love nothing more. So they'll be here during worship, and then even after the service is over. But please stand and worship with us.